Hey folks, welcome to the Skift Ideas podcast, the first edition of our series that we're starting here. I'm really excited for this bi-weekly discussion on innovation, design, experience, creativity in the travel industry. And I'm delighted to do it with my co-host, Colin Nagy, who's been a longtime columnist at Skift, writing about the experiences in the travel industry in different aspects. We will talk to thinkers, craftspeople, and operators in the travel industry and around the edges as well, which I think is very important. And this bi-weekly discussion, the first one, which we're going to talk about the state of creativity in travel, is just me and Colin. And in the subsequent editions, we will have guests along with it as well. So let's jump in. Uh, why are we starting this podcast? The Skift Ideas podcast is a, is part of our franchise called Skift Ideas, which we announced last month. And the Ideas franchise is celebrating, as the word sort of idea says, innovation, design, experience, creativity, automation, and AI now coming into it as well. We started with Skift Idea Awards, which started a few years ago, which which celebrate this innovation award uh, companies and people in the travel industry along these lines. And we've expanded our franchise this year to also the, in the meetings industry for the Skift Meetings Awards. About a month ago, we launched the Skift Ideas Content Hub, which documents many of these innovations coming out of the travel industry from airlines, from hotels, from tour operators, from designers, et cetera, in the travel industry. And the Skift Ideas podcast is the next uh, phase of expanding the Skift Ideas franchise. So in this opening discussion, I wanted to discuss with Colin the state of creativity in travel, sort of a spectral overview, if you will, of where the travel industry is today. And uh, one of the things that I said at the start of the year at our launch of our Skift Megatrends was that this is the most creative time to be in travel. And why did I say that? It's because we're out of the clouds, the miasma of COVID, and everything is possible in the travel industry today. Travel industry, as, as all of you know, is continues to boom while there's uh, economic un uncertainty in other parts of the world. Uh, there, yet there's still constraints. There's uh, labor shortages, supply chain issues, Travel remains very, very expensive. So this, this clash of constraints and possibilities is what I think makes it one of the most creative times to be in travel. Also, the travel has become a lot more global, a lot more voices emerging from other parts of the world that are influencing travel in so many different ways. This is what Colin does best is to highlight these. So that's where we're going to have the discussion. Colin, I want to welcome you and um, want you to give your top level thoughts before we jump in. Sure, and thank you so much. Um, with creativity and travel, very, very broad topic. And I think what's interesting is I agree with you. We're back in full force. You know, people are, are booking. You go to any airport around the world, it's actually ram-packed. So the opportunities are there. But sometimes I find there's, there's, there's headwinds that are kind of preventing some of this creativity. Sometimes it can be corporate inertia. Sometimes it can be kind of 
bureaucracy and fear. And what I've been doing as I've been writing the column for, you know, since 2016 is just really trying to find these pockets of people that are able to find a little bit of alpha by, by over-indexing on something that delights customers, by rethinking some things in terms of their guest experience. And I, I feel like with a lot of the tools that are coming online, with technology, with having this um, super customer-centric mindset, I think we're poised for a boom in creativity, both when it comes to marketing and kind of experiences of brand, but also I think all the way down the kind of operational chain and stack of these companies. So while, while you still see people operating in bureaucratic and slow lumbering ways like big companies, I think you do find um, we are going to have a bit of a renaissance, which I'm excited about. So it's interesting to say that because if you ask people who are traveling today, this is the general customer, not super travelers like you and me, um, they will say that it feels like the experience of travel is getting worse. Is there? Do you think from a from an experience perspective that's true? It seems like it's getting worse and better in many different ways. I think what's happened is you have great companies, luxury hotels, airlines that are that are really pushing to create incredible guest experiences for their for their clients and their guests. On the other side of that, you have um, a labor force that has left the market during the pandemic. You have a lot of um, very talented hoteliers and and other kind of frontline team members that that have left the industry completely. So there is a quite a tension between the ambition of some of these top tier brands, you know, Emirates, Four Seasons, et cetera, and making sure they have the amazing, talented people to deliver that. Um, and and this is the tension that I see over and over and over in the business, um, especially as a lot of hotels, a lot of airlines are really charging premium rates at this stage. So, uh, so it's a recipe for disaster. And I feel like it's one of the existential threats for the industry right now. But there's also this uh, stratification happening on the West, what, what your experience is traveling in the West and what your experience is traveling in other parts of the world. I mean, the labor shortage that we're talking about here in the West, it's very different. In fact, where you are, Colin, right now, Dubai or next door in Saudi Arabia or the further East you go. So it feels like at least on the luxury and the strat there there is some stratification depending on where you go. It, it's a good point. Um, I actually had lunch today and I had a great conversation with a gentleman that had just moved to Dubai from Cuba. And he, he outlined his entire sort of, you know, reason for moving here, moved his entire family. I was actually quite surprised. Um, you know, you know, of the Cuban diaspora in the United States, in Miami, et cetera. But to, but to hear a Cuban accent in a restaurant in Dubai was actually quite interesting. And so, you know, in, in emerging markets or what you see is Singapore is booming and obviously they are dealing with the tension of lots of people wanting to come there, lots of labor market needing to come to kind of like work in the hotels, work in all these, all these places versus, you know, native Singaporeans wanting jobs right. and wanting. So there's, there's an inherent tension there. Dubai is just a boomtown right now and you're starting to see um, lots of nationalities come here to build 
um, to build a career or build a new life. And, and oftentimes the stepping stone of that is in various elements of, of hospitality. And, uh, I just, I thought it was quite interesting to see. It's not just, um, the Filipino diaspora or some of the, you know, Bhutanese or, um, kind of workers that, that you'd normally associate with coming here, you know, Cubans and lots of other people kind of traveling here as a hub. So the boom is real and they're not suffering from the labor shortages, um, that other places are. So, um, let's dig into to four different pockets of creativity and innovation that, that I want to touch on today as, as an overview. And, to start with what Skift has covered very well for the last 11 years of its existence, which is technology and what that is enabling in terms of the experience and, and, and what that means to the creativity that it fosters from there. So you wrote this column for us, um, I'm going to say two weeks ago, on what hotel hospitality brands can immediately adopt or, or immediately start thinking about from all the innovations happening in, in AI. We've been covering AI and travel since really the launch of Chat ChatGPT last year. So you brought a lot of threads together. What I loved about your column is you brought a lot of threads together and then tried to provide clarity in different um, bullet points or buckets, if you will. So talk about why you thought that was important. I think it was important because we, we look at our LinkedIn, we look at our Twitter, we look at the sort of coffee chat at the office, and everyone's talking AI, AI, chat GPT. But what I was really trying to do with this is show to, you know, travel marketers and travel brands some really tangible things that they need to be doing and thinking about, right? Just experimenting. So for example, one of my pet peeves in hospitality is a lot of brands look the same. You know, there's a lot of visual visual homogeny when it comes to uh, when it comes to how brands look, their ads, etc. Oftentimes, you joke that if you cover up the if you cover up the logo on the a travel ad, it could be three other three other things. You can yeah. use things like Dali to mood board and take and take your brand and the visuals in different directions with the right human creative director and AI. You can play out different territories. Same goes for like your brand voice. You can use ChatGPT to say, hey, write this text in the voice of my 34-year-old female creative class audience and really calibrate and push your brand voice. You can sift through all of the reviews that kind of sit on the internet and actually go and find that insight that's like a needle in a haystack. And one of the most important things is a lot of these huge brands need better governance and so there's things like BrandGuard, which actually you train it on your brand assets and it allows everyone allows a team to understand making sure that that's super consistent across the web and across every piece of marketing. One of the things I'm really interested in is how do you use AI to draw inspiration from your archives, right? Imagine ingesting the entire storied visual history of a brand like Raffles and have it create something new or evolve that based on a specific prompt. That's fascinating. There was a somebody did this experiment where they put Tiffany in Maldives, and everything in Maldives was um, was it was just an experiment somebody posted on LinkedIn or maybe other social media as well. And the Tiffany color in different settings in Maldives it was just a total fiction 
But again, it unlocks creativity in your brain that um, probably you wouldn't have been able to at least visualize easily on your own. I thought the Tiffany Maldives thing was real when I first saw it because LVMH are such exceptional marketers and it was really fun to, it was fun to look at and fun to see. So that, that's a great example. And then, you know, the other one yeah. that I find really interesting is um, that we've talked a lot at Skift about the, the self-directed traveler, right? And I do think that ChatGPT could be coming for some of the middlemen, you know, come, coming for some of the travel industry, um, the travel trade, the, the travel agents. I, I've long argued that these, these people do create a ton of value. Um, so I'm not trying to come for that particular group. But I do think that when you look at the specificity of recommendations that come out of this stuff, and when you have a few plugins that could allow you to book a flight or book a transfer off the back of it, it's a, actually quite interesting. So all in all, I think that there's a lot of place, places where people can experiment. One of the, the things that I'm excited about from a creative perspective is, one, what AI and the conversational part of it, which is where, um, for me, the, the, the real innovation lies, which is we've trained ourselves to use software and internet or digital experiences in certain boxes, and we have to adhere to those boxes or, or norms to get the right results, to get the things that we want, versus a conversation and being able to uh, have an extended conversation, not just a single question, but speculative ways of asking and then going deeper into it, kind of like human conversation. And so uh, what conversational AI does to how the digital experiences change, here I'm talking travel booking, particularly the search box, I've said this for many, many years, is that the tyranny, I've used the word the tyranny of the travel booking search box. And what I meant by that is a very cookie cutter way of um, of searching, which leads to cookie cutter results back and results in overwhelm in terms of choices and, and, and very sort of grid-based answers, if you will. And for me, that's the creative part of what it will unlock. I think we're still very early. It may not just come from the travel industry. It may come from larger uh Companies certainly is coming from a from a company now like ChatGPT, but again, it's a very rudimentary interface today. Bing is is stretching that a little bit in in how they're uh, changing that interface. So as consumer behavior changes and and gets well, it gets changed as a result of using these mainstream tools and then coming to travel. That's what I'm very interested by in terms of what that unlocks on on how. People in travel will have to rethink the interface itself on how people query and interact. And the good part, I think, that is in travel's favor is that they do have a lot of stories to tell, which means that in a conversational context, potentially that also fits in. The other part on AI that is it's existential to a lot of industries it's not existential to travel because the the actual experience of travel is a, is a is a is a tangible human to human or human to physical things interaction and so travel as a 
as a concept won't go away, however advanced AI could become, unless like, I don't know, teleportation becomes uh, uh, a reality, which by the way, I really wanted to. Uh, but short of that, AI is not existential to travel, existential threat to travel, which again, if you th- there's a lot more positives to think about in AI, in AI and travel than it is in, I don't know, in some, some other knowledge worker industries like education, et cetera. So for me, that's interesting. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Colin. Yeah, I, I wrote a column basically talking about how the travel industry, the hotel industry needs to make a case for the next generation of, of hoteliers, right? And actually, you know, I, I said some of the people that work at Four Seasons, Mandarin, all these great brands, Peninsula, they train a certain type of, of great hotelier who turns into a great leader. And what's very interesting about that is these jobs are actually safe from the onslaught. If you're a second or first year analyst at Goldman Sachs, you are not safe from this onslaught. So, you know, perhaps the romance of human interaction and and service and providing that nurturing, thoughtful um, thing, you know, will become a new luxury and will become a new desired career path. And I think what's happened is these brands have really failed to make a great case to the really bright young people of like why they would come back. But my argument is mm-hmm. you get to deal with humans and then you also get to have a potentially global career and and, and kind of move around the world interfacing with um, you know improvisational creative problems every day. And so you make a great point. It's like there's some industries that are not going to be crushed by this the way some knowledge workers will. Yeah, my uh, my goal for my two young kids, if all if every AI job, um, if AI disrupts everything, is for them to open ice cream shops, and certainly that won't go away. So um, clearly, clearly, there's a future in travel and ice creams. Um, in terms of um, design innovations that that you are you are excited about, uh, I know you've talked about El Cosmico and the three D printing there. So um, What's your sense of the design innovations um, in a world where uh, one of the things that we've been covering is give quite a bit for, for the last year. I wrote an essay called The Great Merging, where how we live, work, travel, and socialize have sort of merged into each other in COVID and post-COVID continues to, to be, at least for the set that has disposable income to travel meaning a set that has more creative jobs or more knowledge-based jobs. Um, and uh, what that means in how travel products are created, designed, marketed, um, you know, examples of, of this length of stays at either hotels and particularly with short-term rentals and, 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 and that part of the world, the length of stays continues to be high quite a bit. And so... Um, in that great merging world, what are the design innovations that you're excited about? I know you've talked quite a bit about El Cosmico, I think, uh, with 3D printing, et cetera. So what's your sense of, uh, of design itself? Yeah, I think what, what I'm intrigued by in the hospitality world is, you know, new models, new ways of constructing and, and new approaches for, for people to visit, right? And I think what um what 
I find inspiring, just to back up, Liz Lambert has partnered with Bjork Angles and an Austin-based company called Icon. And Icon does uh, 3D printing, and they do 3D printing of dwellings. And so they are building, um, they're evolving a property that Liz had for a long time called El Cosmico, which is in West Texas, in Marfa. And they're making these very sort of like mega futuristic looking, incredible dwellings that are 3D printed. And number one, it looks very futuristic. Number two, it allows for design elements like, you know, skylights where you can see the stars every night. Um, but, but there's an environmental factor that, you know, you don't have to drive in a bunch of trucks and concrete and materials and disturb a bunch of land. And also the, the cost to construct and, and a lot of the benefits from that. So, and what I caught up with Liz on the phone a couple days ago, and she said that Icon actually has a, uh, a contract with NASA to do moon dwellings. And it's very funny because when you see what they're making in Marfa, it actually looks like something that could be on the moon. And it's so far out of the playbook of anything that we've seen with glamping, any kind of, you know, interesting um, architecture or design. It's so far out there. And things like that I get very excited by because it's a completely paradigm-shifting thing. One of the things, I guess, um, and I don't know if this is, if you will draw a straight line from here to the general awareness of outdoors that came in because of COVID. Like, oh, you mean we can live more outdoors in our inside of our Western world, if you will, outside of the bubble of our, our houses and offices and screens. And so that um, awareness came that certainly was very present in travel during the summer of 2020, the summer of 2021, the summer of 2022 even. And do you think that theme continues of like merging in outdoors, which then obviously has... Um, implications on the footprint on climate you could argue that it let you know there are ways to lessen footprint on climate if you integrate outdoor more compared to not integrating as more so i wonder what your thoughts on that are i'm really inspired by these types of dwellings because it creates an unbelievable guest experience number one right so four seasons just did a tented camp i believe it's in costa rica um and they're selling it for a tremendous amount of money per night. You can't get in. It's completely booked out um, because you have that proximity to nature. You hear the hiss of, you know, you hear the hiss of the jungle. You hear the birds. Um, it's absolutely wonderful. And, you know, all of this goes back to early days safari tents, right? Wow. You're in a canvas bush tech tent in the middle of, you know, in the middle of Tanzania, but you feel like a human being. You you're you're on the you're protected, but you're on the Serengeti, and I do think that's the number one thing: is the guest experience is really really interesting, wow. and you feel hyper connected to the world that we live in in humans as humans, as opposed to just kind of isolated and and sequestered um, from cities. And obviously, the desire for these experiences has gone up exponentially wow. after COVID. And then to your point, you know there are environmental implications because. These are much more light touch things as they sit on the terrain, as they sit on the earth. They don't require bulldozers. They don't require huge, huge lifts to bring in. Um, so there's a benefit to that. 
and also the econ economic benefit to you know hospitality companies is they don't cost that much to construct and everyone wants to spend a whole bunch of money to stay in them which is incredible business and uh you see things like under canvas which started out with more rudimentary tents and now just right. opened up a new thing called a loom which is spectacular and it's out in moab drivable to all the all the um great you know zion national park and a lot, a lot of those places and they've positioned it at a very high-end experience. It's, you know, $700 a night. And uh, people are paying it. And they, they, it, there's so much demand for this property. So I think you're exactly right. There's there's something very special about this space. And I'm very interested to see how it continues to evolve. 3D printing it will be a big thing. And then I think you'll start seeing blends of 3D printing and also kind of like f more futuristic approaches to form with tents and, and things like that. And then in the Western world, which is a lot more built up, or at least in the cities, around cities where things are a lot more built up, a phrase that has been used obviously for a while is adaptive reuse um, and blending the sort of the old with the new. And are you seeing more examples of this coming in, for instance, hotels or dwellings in general of adaptive reuse? With this one, I would say a great example is the Stamba Hotel in Tbilisi, in Georgia, which I, I, I think you're a fan of as well. Um, you know, just incredible regeneration of really bombed out old factories that now feels like this very futuristic, um, otherworldly place that doesn't really feel like anything. It almost feels like something out of a sci-fi movie. Um, so I, I, love, I love the creative sort of reuse. And I also am very interested in like, other materials. There are people that are now doing skyscrapers and hotels and buildings out of wood. You know, there's like new forms of wood. There's new forms of making buildings that are actually super safe and super structured, but they're made in these very, very eco-friendly materials. Um, the other thing that I would point out is you walk down Orchard Road in Singapore and you see hotels and things that used to be large building structures that are now completely covered with plants and vegetation. Um, they're visually quite stunning. And they also have benefits to the heating, cooling, all these elements of um, how buildings run efficiently and effectively. But they also create this very kind of futuristic utopian um, interface with the landscape that I also feel is very soothing and interesting. Um. I want to take it a little bit um, uh, deeper. And it's interesting where there's a lot of, if you read media, at least in the Western world, it feels like the narrative is that the cities are falling apart, like American cities are falling apart, crime, homelessness, etc. And while that's true in pockets of various cities, if you are in a city like New York where I live, the narrative of like homelessness and crime, et cetera, is there. But we live in neighborhoods and in neighborhoods, in many neighborhoods, in many different ways, things are so vibrant. Um, if you are in New York City, minus the the haze that's been there for the last few days, and it looks like it's much better today as we're recording. Um, it's such a, it's such a, um, I guess, dichotomous world today in New York City where the, the, there's, I read a story this morning, the rents are the highest they've ever been, which I don't know how they continue to, to climb, but they continue to climb. If you are 
in, for instance, Bryant Park, which is surrounded by all these office towers. Those office towers are likely uh, not empty, but they're likely sort of semi-empty. This is true. The, the commercial real estate continues to have a lot of vacancy across different cities. But on the street level today, New York is so vibrant. This is obviously the start of the summer as well, so there's that too. The restaurants are full, no matter what the prices are. Tourists are coming. Times Square is a zoo. I, as, a, as, a, as a New Yorker, I don't. Uh, we, we try not to go through Times Square, but um, last couple of days uh, to meet some folks uh, or doing some things, you go through Times Square. It's booming. So this dichotomy between the street level activity in a city like New York City versus the commercial real estate and um, et cetera. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but it's just living here as a person versus I wonder how tourists look at this when they come to New York. Yeah, this is also just such a seductive time to be in New York City. Everything is back, especially you know in May where the weather is like somewhat tolerable before it gets too hot. You can't Correct. get a reservation even at like 5 p.m. or 9 p.m. And I think you're going to see, number one, I think you're going to see more companies doing the sort of RTO. RTO is um, return to office. I, I think that, unfortunately, I think some of the remote things, at least with the big tech companies, with JP Morgan, et cetera. So that's going to be kind of putting people back in offices. And then I think you're going to start seeing, to your earlier point, some reuse, regenerative sort of things. It's very hard to convert some of these things into residential, which residential is direly needed. Um, right. But this is like a huge existential question when it comes to not just cities like New York, but just any any urban city in the world. And then to your rent point, um, I noticed that rents in Singapore are up higher than, higher than they've ever been, and they dwarf the rent increase um, from New York and Dubai, which is crazy to me. So, um, you know, anyone that wrote off cities, particularly global hub cities during COVID was dead wrong. One of the other things that I'm very excited about that we write and skipped a lot is the new, and, and this uh, will unlock sort of new ways of looking at travel and new ways of, of presenting travel to the, to the travelers is just the new crop of travelers, that's not the best phrase to use, but the new uh, generation of travelers that are coming into the world. Um, we've been writing quite a bit about the rise of India as the, the, the big global force to come, already emerging, but the big global force to come um, in the coming years. It will become the largest outbound uh, force in travel, much like how Chinese tourists became a global force 10, 15 years ago, particularly when we're just starting Skift in 2012, they became a, a, a global force that forced travel brands to think about uh, what they present, how they present um, on all spectrum of travel brands from, from sort of the lower end of the market to the even to the luxury end of the market. And then what it would mean for uh, a swath of, of Indian travelers uh, around the world and how travel brands will have to to adapt. And um, so for me, uh, and, you know, long-term from other parts of the world, whether it's um, Africa or Latin America or other parts of the world that haven't historically traveled over the world with as free movement as, as Westerners have been able to. So for me, that unlocks another level of uh, 
or at least the hope is that it unlocks another level of creativity in the world. I couldn't agree more. And what you saw for a long time is some travel markets were hugely over-reliant on U.S. travelers. Um, A lot of them were overly reliant on Chinese travelers. And I, I think it's actually very exciting that there's going to be these new segments that have different needs, that have different products that they want to interface with, different price points from the ultra luxury to the more uh, the more entry level, and building for 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 this huge market is is hugely interesting. I also think the other thing I wanted to touch about quickly is as more and more places create remote visa programs that aren't terrible and they're actually fairly smooth. This is going to allow people, particularly people that need visas to travel, um, and and for those of us that hold a U.S. or U.K. passport, we we can move around fairly unencumbered. But my friends that have Indian passports, my friends that have South African passports, it's a little harder. And I love the notion of some of these remote visa programs where people can go and stay and work for a month, um, perhaps being untethered and do it completely above board and do it in a way that's additive to a local economy. So um, there's there's seismic changes coming to outbound travel, to you know the the remote visas and the sort of nomad travel evolutions to the quote unquote digital nomad, and I think it's going to set ourselves up for a lot of cross pollination, a lot of interesting business opportunities, both for existing brands to calibrate their offering and also a wave of startups that are also leveraging a little bit of the AI plus these new cultural shifts and tensions. So that I think it's very exciting. Yeah. So let's wrap it up here. Cause I think we're leaving it in a, in a, in a hopeful place, which is, I think where we, which is the whole idea of the ideas podcast, which is the, the creativity as an underpinning for the hopefulness in the, in, in what comes out of what the creative promise of travel is. And um, while again, the headlines and, and some of the, political winds are towards more ultra-nationalism, if you will, all around the world. The world continues to move in many different ways. Unfortunately, some involuntary, but also a lot of voluntary movement. The globalization globalization is well and alive. I interviewed my friend Parag Khanna, who wrote this the book Move, who um, lives in Singapore and is very, very bullish on that part of the world as well. Um, on the next his book Move, which came out two years ago, was very much about what climate change will unleash in terms of um, places that will be livable and habitable in the in the years and decades to come, and what countries who are labor stressed, and this is true for a lot of Western, even Eastern countries, China, Japan, etc., long term, what they would have to do to compete for talent. And all of these has direct implications in the travel industry, which is why we're so excited to cover all of this. So thank you, Colin. This was a fascinating opening conversation. This gives you a sense of the threads that we'll uh, unpack or or or, or um, peel, whatever the analogy you want to use, over the coming, coming weeks and coming episodes. We'll have a guest um, along with us in... Uh, in the future episodes that again the idea is to do it twice a month or at least bi-weekly and uh we will immerse ourselves with discussions with travel visionaries creatives and pioneers who are steering the travel and hospitality industries into the future we'll try and 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 go deep into these discussions with them 
and uh, hopefully in many ways will elevate the conversation in the travel industry, which is what we want to do. And both Colin, Colin particularly is a very sophisticated traveler. And I think you will see that come out in various ways as we uh, as we talk to to him and, and our guests through the thing. Okay, so that's where we'll end today. Uh, much more to come on this exciting new chapter. Thank you so much. Thank you, Colin. And a few things that I want to mention before we wrap up the episode is uh, beyond the Skift Ideas podcast, some of the things that we're doing around not just the Ideas franchise, but also Skift as well. This is the 10th year for Skift Global Forum, the the most prestigious, the most desirable, the 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 the, the most creative conference in the global travel industry that's taking place in New York in September 26 to 28 with the theme of connection in an age of AI. And what that means is human to human connection and the, and the increasing importance of this in an age of AI that is unfolding in front of our eyes. The, the, the human to machine connection and the machine to machine connection that which I know many people are fearful of. We'll have all of those discussions on stage with the big CEOs and the creative folks in the travel industry in New York City. The tickets are selling really, really well. And there's a there's a good chance, even though we have a giant venue, that we will be jam-packed and potentially sell out. So please go to life.skift.com to um, buy your tickets, reserve your place. Also, I want to mention the Skift Idea Awards, which is part of our Ideas franchise, which um, these are the travel's most coveted achievement for excellence in design, creativity, and innovation. The, the submissions are ongoing. They end on June 20th. Uh, a lot of people have entered from different parts of the travel industry. Uh, we will have a link to the, to the Idea Awards uh, page from in the show notes as well. So please go and enter those. And uh, continue to tune into the Skift Ideas content hub in which... Uh, we continue to highlight different innovations in the travel industry coming out on a daily basis. And so I think it's a very rich archive of ideas and hopefully inspiration for you in the coming weeks and months and years. That's it. Hope to uh, you join us. Hope you enjoyed this and will join us in the next episode. Join us for future Skift Ideas podcasts as we speak with the most creative and forward-thinking innovators in travel. As always, go to skift.com to stay up to date on the latest news and insights across the travel industry.